0: Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. Last week, we started working on the book of John, looking at it from a very different perspective than what has typically been taught and understood. And in this, this is the second of five sessions. In this session, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain how the book of John is not a gospel. We think of four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only Matthew, Mark, and Luke are gospels, and John is not a gospel, it is, in fact, wisdom literature, and I'll explain that. We'll briefly review the tension between the two groups, the Johannine community, which were disciples of John, and the Eudaoi, which were the religious leaders. And then we'll spend much of our time looking at the prologue of John, the first 18 verses that we all love. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that. And and I'm going to show you how it is uh, Hebrew poetry, and it's conveyed in an extremely artistic way. So, so the artistry of the language is going to... Um, it doesn't hide the deeper meaning, but it's, it's the deeper meaning is not on the surface. You really have to get into the depth of it to, to, to see the incredible understanding of this prologue, which is wisdom literature. So that's what we're going to do in this session. If you have your Bibles, you can be looking at your Bibles, John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. If not, don't worry, I'll read it for you. All right, let's start by looking at what is known as a genre. A genre is a distinctive literary style. A narrative is a genre. Poetry is a genre. Uh, Prophecy is a a genre. They're distinct literary styles. I mean, it's a word that's used in all kinds of literature, but as it applies to the Bible, we have certain genres in the Bible. Now, um, for centuries we have considered a genre called a gospel which we have thought There were four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the, the word gospel is an English word and it comes from Old English God spell. That's the Old English, godspell. God means good. Spell is a tale, a story. So Gospel, the the word gospel literally means good news in a good tale, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Good news about Yeshua in a good tale. I mean, they're all stories about Yeshua, the first three anyway. The New Testament is Greek. The Greek word is not spell or gospel. The New Testament is euangelion, which simply means good news. That's what it means, good news. So this is a distinct genre called a gospel. And we can say that it's good news and a good tale. And there are three gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The book of John, however, is not written in the genre of a gospel. It's written in the genre of Hebrew wisdom literature. So now we have to take a look at Hebrew wisdom literature, okay? There are in fact two kinds of Hebrew wisdom literature. There is reflective wisdom and there is practical wisdom. Reflective wisdom addresses deep questions about God and the purpose of life. The book of Job is reflective wisdom. It's a deep book and it's you know why is there suffering in the world and why do righteous people have to suffer these are deep questions and the book of job is reflective wisdom that will address those questions now if we don't understand that it's hebrew wisdom literature and we don't know how to 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 dig in to, to dig in and to penetrate that the, the depth of that you know we don't get the the true meaning of the book of job the same is true with the book of john the book of John. And now let me explain that the other kind of wisdom is practical wisdom. Practical wisdom offers advice for a godly walk that leads to blessings. For example, the book of Proverbs is practical wisdom. It's wisdom literature. But it's a different kind of wisdom literature than reflective wisdom. Now, um, let me uh, very briefly review what we did in the last session. I explained, and I gave a great deal of of information, I'm only going to give you the conclusion here, um, that the book of John was probably written by John's disciples. It was probably composed after John had died, but but it was composed by his disciples who would have been in large part Jews, but there probably were some Gentiles that were part of the group who had attached themselves to the Jews and they were uh believers in yeshua but, but we will never know exactly but we refer to this group as the johannine community they had been expelled from the synagogue we can see that in the in the book of john they had been expelled from the synagogue and that was a a, a uh, an absolute disastrous traumatic occurrence in your life now the the religious leaders were the ones who had the authority to expel someone from the synagogue the synagogue was the center of life. It's where all life occurred. But it also, if you were expelled from the synagogue, you were um, t- totally cast out of all society. So if you lived in a, a small village, you, know, you you couldn't marry your son or your daughter. Nobody would, would touch you. You were an outcast. You, nobody would help you at harvest time. You were a total outcast. So being expelled from the synagogue is just... It, it's it's a consequence that we have a hard time grasping the seriousness of it. But the Johannine community had apparently been expelled from the synagogue and uh, they were um, a, a group typically known as a scribal school. So they they studied together and what were they studying? They um, they were studying um, some very deep questions. Now, the other thing I want you to understand is that the eudaioi with this authority, the religious leaders with the authority to expel from the synagogue, had, had a caused this intense tension with the Johannine community because we read in the book of John that the Eudaioi, the, the religious leaders, were seeking to kill Yeshua because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, you see, he was doing work on the Sabbath by healing, but also he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they were seeking to kill him. They had determined that there was a, a, a murder penalty on on yeshua they they you know had their authority said that you know he 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 could be killed and then the people the people are not the religious leaders they're not the yonai that's been translated jews in our bibles but I, I, I strongly encourage you to consider the fact that the UNIO were the religious leaders. Same thing happens today, you know. I mean, the, the religious leaders have a great deal of influence on people. Unfortunately, it's, it, it, I mean, it's not fear. I say unfortunately because in our own culture and society today, people do not have the skills to carefully analyze evidence to arrive at their own conclusion of truth so they jump on bandwagons and these religious charismatic leaders you know and they and the churches that play the bands and everything this this is what's drawing people they don't have the ability to 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 look to, to uncover to to find the evidence let alone analyze the evidence and draw um, a, a legitimate conclusion So, um, we hear about the people at the time of the book of John. Let's listen to what the people. No one was speaking openly of Yeshua for fear of the Jews because they had the authority to expel you from from the synagogue. Now, Let me explain to you how John is reflective wisdom. It's not practical wisdom, it's reflective wisdom. And they were asking very deep questions. I mean, the first question, is Yeshua of Nazareth the promised Messiah? Now, they had to come to the conclusion that he was, but the book has to prove it to others to prove that this Yeshua of Nazareth was indeed the promised Messiah. Now, one way of proof is signs. Now, if if you understand signs... Um, they 're not the miracles. the miracles are not the signs that 's the Western concept of signs. The miracles are not the signs. Signs are um, are, are um, things that God has stimulated so that we can know God. So when the Red Sea parted, it was a sign it was a sign that God could rescue his people from returning to bondage, which bondage to the world, which Egypt represented. So the signs are, are events that God causes to reveal a deeper understanding of him and what he is doing. That's what signs are and uh you in the you know the very first chapter of genesis you know the sun the moon and the stars let them be for signs in the heavens so these signs are and, and circumcision was the sign of the covenant so and and the plagues in egypt you know were signs so that the egyptians would recognize that i am the lord so the the Johannine community in the book of john are going to say these are the different signs that confirm Yeshua the Messiah. They also have um uh long discourses um in chapters fifteen through seventeen. We talked about that in the last session and we're and then um the the, the whole prologue we're going to go into the prologue now. And the prologue is wisdom literature. It's done as Hebrew poetry, there's artistry, and it's, going, it's the wisdom is, is going to dig down in the, in the poetic artistry of the language to answer these deep, deep, deep questions. Now, let's look at what Hebrew wisdom is. Hebraic reflective wisdom, according to the sages, the ancient sages in Israel, and in the Hebraic understanding of ancient Israel God has made himself known in three ways and in these three ways we can uncover the depth of meaning the reflective wisdom about who God is and what he's doing the first way that he's made himself known is through the creation now the important thing is that God spoke things into being the word create is used with Bereshit um, Bar, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the word create. Um, but everything else after that, he speaks it into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, and so God uses, he speaks, and the speaking is is what brought creation into being. So that's the first way that God has made himself known. The second way is through the Tanakh through the Word of God. Now God spoke directly to Moses and and he, then he spoke through his prophets and he's speaking words of instruction, but, but these words are also revealing the nature of God. So we have the creation, we have the Word of God, and then the third way is acts of redemption. And and God has performed these acts of redemption, and they are signs. They are signs. So God has made himself known in three ways. Now, we're going into the prologue of John, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and we're going to see, we have to view it as this wisdom literature. Now, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I've got to point out a whole number of things here. First of all, Hebrew poetry is rhythm. The rhythm evokes emotion. It doesn't rhyme. The second thing is that is is composed in parallel lines that is linguistic artistry. And through that, it conveys depth of meaning. Now, I want you to put yourself back in the first century, the time of Yeshua. I want you to think with the first century mind you don't have a bible there were no books but the only important thing for you to know is the torah the torah that that was the most important thing the torah the prophets and the writings were commentary on the torah but the torah was the central words of of god to his people and then the the prophets and the writings were commentary on the torah how did you learn it you learned it from the time you were a little child in your home your father at night when it got dark i mean you couldn't work you know when it got dark and uh and so he would collect his children and he would uh, he would speak the word and then expound on it now in an, this is an oral society it's not a written society it's an oral society and there are oral societies in the world today and i I've, I've traveled in the third world and i i've been uh, to To a classroom where the children they had no books, they had no paper, they had no pencils. They had no. They did have a blackboard up in the front, um, and the teacher could write on the blackboard. But for the most part, the teacher was speaking, and they were memorizing, and that's how the children learned. They learned by memorization, and you know we don't memorize. In fact, you know math. You don't even have to memorize the multiplication tables anymore. I mean, you, this new math has taken memorization out of our culture entirely. So they memorized and they heard. They heard. Yes, they could read um, and, and on Sabbath when they pulled out the Torah scroll and could read from the Torah scroll. But for the most part, they learned by hearing. So listen again, and I want you to listen to repetition because they would have heard the repetition. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All right. You can't do it in English. You don't have to be fluent in Greek. All you have to do is be curious. Word, word, word is repeated three times in four lines. Um so you just be curious and you look up the Greek word that has been translated word. The Greek word is logos. Now let me read it again. It's in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God. And the logos with God. Now take out the he because that's interpretation. It means the logos was in the beginning with God. That's what it means. And now we have to... Logos is a Greek word. So we have to look up the Greek word. But my suggestion is that the the Greek meaning of the Greek word is not what is being conveyed here. It's written in Greek, but it's referring to the Torah. That's what it's referring to. So you, you, you ask yourself, okay, the Septuagint was a translation from... Hebrew to Greek that was composed about 150 years before the time of Yeshua, 100 to 150 years before the time of Yeshua, because Jews were dispersed all around first the Greek empire and then the Roman empire. And so Jews were living in Alexandria. Paul came from Tarsus, which is in, in Turkey. They were in Rome. They were in Greece. They were, they were throughout the Roman empire, And they had lost the real facility of Hebrew. And Greek was the common language. That that was the common language first throughout the Greek Empire, started by Alexander the Great. And then when the Romans took over, they continued to use the Greek as the common language in the marketplace. Now, Latin would have been the language of government, but Greek continued to be the common language in the marketplace. And everybody would have spoken Greek. So... The Septuagint is a translation from Hebrew to Greek. That's what it is. So what you can do is you can take the word logos, which is Greek, and you can say, okay, where was logos used in the Septuagint translation? And that's going to give you the Hebrew understanding of logos. And in fact, logos was used to translate um, the Hebrew devarim, which means words. Davar is to speak. Deber Adonai is is God spoke. This is coming from Davar, and Devarim is the plural, Im is the plural, Devarim is the plural meaning words. And you remember that God has made himself known through creation when he spoke the creation into being. And he has made himself known through the Torah and the the commentary of the prophets and the writings on the Torah by speaking to his prophets who wrote that down. So the Logos is referring to God speaking things into being. And you're going to see that. Let's keep going. I'm going to read it to you again and there's another repetition. So listen again. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The Logos was in the beginning with God. There's an echo here of something in Genesis. In the beginning was the Logos. What's the echo? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's the the echo. And... It's, it's clear. When you know that Hebrew scriptures well, it, it's clear. And if you're thinking with a first century mind, it really is clear. This is what the people would have heard in the beginning. So um, it's, it's a reference to the creation. And the logos is when God is speaking things into being. And, and what this is saying is God is now speaking the Messiah into being. That's what it's saying. Now, let's keep going. Um, now, li- listen carefully. And, and listen to the concept of the creation all things came into being through him this is referring to the Logos God spoke the creation into being and apart from him this is still talking about God it's not talking about Yeshua apart from him meaning the Logos you see it's translated as a personal him but it, it it means it's re- still referring to the Logos which is, is the God's creation by speaking things into being and apart from the logos when god spoke creation into being nothing came into being that has come into being everything comes into being through god meaning god the father so that's what it's talking about then it goes on in him was life and the life was the light of men now you're getting into the artistic nature of the language because in in the father was the life but it's shifting to yeshua so in him was life meaning in yeshua so it's sort of a double meaning in god is life because god is the one who creates all life but god speaks things into being he has spoken messiah into being and now messiah has the authority for life so in him yeshua was life and the life was the light of men so as god spoke light into being and god shines light into the world So now that light of the Father is in Yeshua and it is shining the light of God into the world. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Now you have to catch the tension between the Johannine community and the religious leaders, the Udayoi. The darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness does not refer to all Jews. It is referring to these religious leaders that have expelled the members of the Johannine community out of the synagogue and are threatening to expel others out of the synagogue if they believe in Yeshua and have ordered that Yeshua is to die. Now, now we come to a witness. So the Johannine community is going to prove here that Yeshua is, is who he is. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify. Now, I want to keep going here because there's so much. Let me go down um, to, um, let's see, I'm going to go down to the very end. of. I'm going to skip a little bit here. Now, I want to go down to us okay us meaning those with faith in yeshua because in uh, john verse 12 he says as many as received him yeshua to them he gave the right to become children of god to those who believe in his name now that word received doesn't is not a passive it's an active word who actively Take Yeshua into their hearts. To them, he has given the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. The right is the word exousia. It means the power and the authority. Whose name? The name of the Father. Okay, those who believe, no, I think those who believe, this would be the name of Yeshua. This would be the name of Yeshua, because Yeshua has the name of the Father. And when you believe in the name of Yeshua, you are believing in the the Father, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God has spoken us into being through our taking an action word, um, Yeshua, into our heart, into our lives. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glorious, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to make one more comment. The only begotten is an echo of the story of Isaac, of Isaac, the near sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac was not the only son. He was not the only son. It's It calls him the only son, but that's the artistic language. You hear it. Yishmael uh, was a legitimate son of Abraham. He was the firstborn son. But... The only son makes you stop and think, and that is referring to God's selection of of, um, Isaac to be the one to carry on the name. And he has selected you also to carry on the name through your faith in Yeshua. So we'll do more with the Gospel of John in the next session. Shalom.